Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Tonight in this eighth part of a message series that obviously we're doing titled The Great Awakening. And these messages have been about the characteristics, the manifestation of what, not sometimes, but what, what actually takes place when a sleeping church is awakened from their slumber or a dead church, and I'm talking about individual or whoever, local assembly, whatever, is awakened from their place of spiritual death, meaning they've been walking in a non-fruit-bearing place due to a misplaced object of faith. Whenever they are awakened, and we speak from experience, whenever we are awakened from death or sleep, both could be the same, then these things we've been ministering are emphatically the experience of the child of God. So go back and listen to the other seven uh, messages if you haven't heard them. You all who are following along this ministry that preaches the message of the cross, you have learned that what you're hearing here is true according to the Scriptures and your experience according to the Scriptures. So what we'll be talking about tonight is true grace because this is something that the Lord reveals to us when he awakens us. If he doesn't, then we're not awake. If what true grace really is is not taking place in our lives, then we're still not awake, which proves what I said, that if you are awakened, you are awakened unto true grace. And you must be learning what grace is. Most of the church does not know. If you ask them, they would say, well, I was saved by it. I believe Jesus died for me. So that has something to do with grace. But you'll hear some things tonight. I believe the Lord will help you as he's helped me with some of these things. So when the Lord awakens his people from their slumber or spiritual death, they begin to understand and stand in true grace. And so the focus tonight will be true grace. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, our first scripture. By Silvanus, Peter says he's writing, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. Now let me say something as I just finished teaching the entire first letter of Peter and what the Lord brought me to the conclusion of, and if you followed along, you know it now as well, and if you didn't and you study it for your own self, you'll find it to be true, that the entire first letter of Peter is all wrapped up in the context of suffering. That's what his first letter is about. I don't care where he ventures away and, and discusses anything, he brings it always right back to suffering. Suffering for Christ, the reproach of Christ's name, suffering for righteousness. The entire first letter, the context of it is suffering because you're a Christian. So when he says here at the end of this first letter that he, is, he has written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. He's talking about what he's written 
is true and what he's written will cause you to stand in the true grace of God, but you're going to suffer when you do. You're going to suffer. They that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Does everybody that knows you like you? Well, if that's the case, you better wake up. It's good to be loved, and we want to be loved, but if everybody you know, everybody you know, is all about you and really like you, and I'm talking about spiritually, then something might be a little wrong with what you're believing. Because the Bible says if you're living godly in Christ Jesus, which is equated to standing in the true grace of God, you're going to suffer persecution. People are going to criticize you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to pull themselves away from you. You're not going to escape it. You're just going to have to choose, as I taught in that, those many sessions, you're going to have to choose which suffering you choose. Which way you choose. You're going to suffer no matter what in this world. But it's best to choose to suffer for the name of Christ by standing in the true grace of God. See, when the Bible calls anything true, like Jesus said, I'm the true vine, that means there's a false vine. When the Bible says there's true grace, that means there's many moves of things called grace that's not true grace. True grace is the truth about what Christ did at Calvary. And, that what, and, and about what God will do in your life now when He finds your faith in what Christ did at Calvary. Grace don't function outside of that. Grace, don't, grace doesn't exist outside of that at all. And this is where the naysayers come in and say, well, but, but the well, but only points to something that's not true grace. Everybody knows Jesus, according to the... Hebrews 2 and 9, that Jesus tasted death by the grace of God. Jesus is the one that has come to us with grace and truth. There was grace under the old covenant, but it wasn't like grace now. There was faith under the old covenant, but it's not like faith now. And the Bible tells us that in Galatians chapter 3, I believe it's verse 23 or 24, 25, right in there, talks about when Jesus came, says, when that faith came. That faith is the faith of Christ that we were justified by. That faith is the faith that Jesus tasted death by the grace of God through that faith. So what we have as a new covenant church is far beyond really what they could have ever imagined. And we have it now. I said we have it now. Amen. Man, you ought to lay awake at night thinking about how precious this is. They were blessed and, and they reached far and were persuaded fully of what God had promised them. And they journeyed to a land uh, every day that was not built with men's hands. But the Bible says they never obtained the promises. But you have. Hallelujah. Woo! You have. Because Christ came and brought truth and grace when he came and his faith that we live by. So the true grace of God is the grace that Jesus brought when he came. 
and provided through His death when He came. It doesn't come through any other avenue other than His death. Grace comes to save us if we believe in Christ and we're saved by grace through faith. And many things in the New Testament talk about grace, teaches us, Titus chapter 2, verses 12 through, or 10 through 14 in there, 10, 11, 12. Uh, Paul said, I labor by the grace of God. Uh, We're saved by grace. So when you see the word grace, and we know it here at Crossway Church because I've taught it through the years and referred to it often, that grace is God at work. It is all the other definitions that you've heard all your life. You know, God's favor toward undeserving men, God's goodness toward undeserving men. And those are great definitions, but I believe with all of my heart the definition that the Lord has given us and has proven, confirmed in Scripture, that grace is God Himself at work. Because it was God that saved you in Christ on Calvary's tree. You're saved by grace, meaning you're saved by what God did in Christ on the tree. Hallelujah. We're taught by grace, that being the Spirit of grace. We're taught by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, and you've not heard much of this anywhere in your life, more than likely, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the Comforter, and all the names of the Holy Spirit... The name that you very rarely hear him called by is the Spirit of Grace, but he is the Spirit of Grace. Grace is God at work. Grace is God doing something. Saving, teaching, keeping, whatever. God's grace is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Grace doing the will of God. That's what the Spirit of grace does is the will of God. He doesn't do anything that's not the will of God. So once you get that in your mind, in your heart, and you settle it and let the Holy Spirit show you, confirm it in the Scriptures that grace is not just floating around, that's not true grace. That's not true grace. Christians, like I did in the past many, many years ago, said that, well, we're just covered by grace. It don't matter what we do. That's not true grace. True grace gets me saved. True grace gives me power to live saved. True grace will will, uh, cause me to avoid the traps of men. True grace will deliver me when I have been trapped by the fear of men because true grace is what God is doing in my life. But God can't do in my life what He needs to do, what He desires to do if He can't find my faith in the right object. Grace is non-existent without faith in the death of Jesus. You can forget it. If anything, that, that you, if you would refute that and disagree with that, means you are trusting in something that is not true grace. It's make-believe. It's just about how I feel. Well, I just feel God loves me. People are in hell who had those thoughts. You must be saved by grace through faith. You must, everything that God calls us to do must be by grace through faith. Because by grace means He is doing it. That's exactly what Jesus meant when He said, you can't do anything without me. 
You can't do anything without the grace I offered you through my death. And the Holy Spirit will work that finished work in and through your life if you keep your faith there. Amen. Because grace won't come just because you got saved. Grace doesn't happen just because I'm saved. The church in Galatia, you have to always bring these things up, especially in the deceptive, deceitful, uh, wicked time we're living in when the church is full of tares and full of ministers that won't preach the right message. You have to bring these things up. The church in, I was sharing it with my mother today on the phone, that the church in Galatia, the Bible says, had fallen from grace. That means they were no longer in communion with the Holy Spirit of grace. You do know that's what that means. They didn't just fall from the word grace. They fell from grace. They fell from the fruitful place. And for there to be fruit, it must be Holy Spirit fruit. They fell from the place the Holy Spirit works. They fell from the place the Spirit of grace functions. And that's why Paul would tell them Christ can no longer profit you or affect you because you've turned the object of your faith, you've moved it from the sacrifice of Christ to circumcision or whatever else it could be, a million other things. But Christ no longer profited them or was affecting them. Doesn't matter how much they said the name Jesus. Doesn't matter how much they thought, the thoughts and their, oh, their feelings. It mattered not. When the object of our faith is not what Jesus did by the grace of God for us there, not just to be saved but to live saved, the Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of grace cannot function in and through our lives. And when we disagree with that, then we're functioning in something that's not true grace. Amen? Amen, Brother Curtis. So, standing in the true grace of God is dependent. You do know that the experience you have as a Christian is a potential. Right. It's a potential. It's not, nothing is automatic. If it were, we wouldn't be told to fight the good fight of faith. We, we, it, we, just, we just all tiptoe through the tulips of holiness. Hallelujah. Right. you got to fight the good fight of faith. Everything for you is there, and you've already received everything that you need, but it doesn't just automatically work. It works by grace, what God desires to do, through your faith. So standing in the true grace of God is dependent upon our standing by faith in the liberty wherewith Christ made us free. That means faith in the cross, Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore. That means don't move. If you want a, a continuous flow of grace in your life, how many of you know you can have a, a steady flow of grace in your life? That means a steady working of the Holy Spirit. That means a steady flowing of the Holy Spirit. In your life, you can have that. But you don't just automatically have that. And if you're listening to somebody that tells you you do, they're lying to you. You have to have applied faith for that to happen. Because it takes faith to stand fast in the liberty wherewith we were made free. Hallelujah. That was faith in the sacrifice. So, let me read uh, Psalms chapter 84 verse 11, because we are discussing grace and true grace tonight in a time where a lot that's called grace is not grace. 
And again, I didn't choose the time for me to live in this world, I, in this church age, church age, and you didn't choose this time. But unfortunately, I shouldn't even use that word. God knew what He was doing when He put us here. Amen? But we are here in an age where deception is rampant. You can listen just about any preacher out there, not all of them, but just about any preacher out there, and they might be talking about grace, but it ain't going to work for anybody if they're not pointing to Calvary. Amen. Amen. And to disagree with that means you don't understand your Bibles because grace only flows into our lives initially and moment by moment through a deliberate and a conscious faith in our Redeemer and what He did to redeem us. Hallelujah. Peter even wrote that we're kept by the power of God through faith. Amen. Psalms chapter 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. He will give grace and glory. What do I need? I need grace. What does that mean? It doesn't mean me just saying it. I need grace, Lord. I need No, I need grace. I, I need to understand what grace means. I need you, Lord, working in my life. Now, you've got to think about the word grace. The, the early church knew more about it, I believe, than the latter church does because of the great deception that's on every corner and multiplied a huge, in a huge way on every corner. But the apostle Paul, if you think about him, he was begging and pleading with God to deliver him from the thorn in his flesh. And God shows up and says, My grace is sufficient. Now, for the church today, that just really pretty much wouldn't do. And the reason it wouldn't do is because we don't understand what grace really is like we really should. Paul knew that grace is what Jesus brought. Grace is what Jesus died tasting death by. Paul knew that grace flowed from faith in the sacrifice of the Savior. Paul knew that, and that's why he would go ahead and say this. Well, then, because God told him what his grace really was, my strength made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And that's why Paul, grabbing a hold of the great true grace, said, well, then I'll just go ahead and glory right here in my infirmities and weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, the power of Christ resting on us has a lot to do with the grace of God being in our lives. For the, for the power of Christ to rest upon me, I must be being led by the Spirit. I must be walking after the Spirit. See, this brings a whole new uh, illumination to what it means to walk in the Spirit of grace. To walk after the Spirit who won't lead me outside the grace of God. Because when I'm led by the Holy Spirit, I'm being led by the Spirit of God's grace. It's, we, we, we think about just being led of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We won't fulfill the lust of the flesh because God's grace is sufficient, hallelujah, to keep us from giving ourselves to the flesh and fulfilling the, the lust of the flesh. God's grace alone can do that. And I'm talking about the Spirit of grace. Not just a word, grace. Grace is God keeping me from being consumed with the lust of my flesh. 
Amen. So when you when you start learning that grace is God at work and it's the Spirit of grace who is the Holy Spirit, it brings a whole new illumination to what it really means for us to be led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, walking after the Spirit. We're following the one who is the Spirit of grace. And if we're following Him, then we won't fulfill the lust of what grace saved us from. The flesh being fulfilled. Oh, we're going to get in the flesh. Can I get a witness in here? Both hands, both feet. We're going to be, we're going to get in the flesh. But the Bible says if I walk after the Spirit, in the Spirit, that means the Spirit of grace. Not just some, ooh, I got to get in the Spirit. I got to get in the Holy Ghost. No, you got to get in the faith. You got to make sure the object of your faith stays the death of Jesus. So that the grace of God, which is the spirit of grace, can cause rivers of living water to flow up out of your innermost being. A river is moving. And the Bible says Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. The spirit of grace. Let me, let me, uh, well, well, we'll get there maybe if y'all don't hold me up too much. But let's read this again, Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. That means he's a light and he's my righteousness because the only way the Lord God is a sun to us is by him sending his son and his son being our son of righteousness, our light and shield. My shield of faith. Who do, what do I think my shield of faith is? The Bible says the Lord God is a son and a shield. What do I think my shield of faith is? It's my God working on my behalf. Hallelujah. Faith ain't what I'm doing. Faith is what He's doing. Hallelujah. Faith is not a move of man. Faith is a move of God moving man. Hallelujah. The Lord will give grace and glory. And watch, no good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly before Him. Not one good thing will your heavenly Father hold back from you if you will be found walking uprightly before Him. So what does it mean to be walking uprightly before Him? Well, what did Paul say the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace showed him about Peter and Barnabas and the fellows in Antioch? That they were not walking upright according to the truth of the gospel. So we don't just automatically do it. We have to have faith where we had faith in the beginning, and while our faith is there, we're walking uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, and the Lord's not going to withhold any good thing from you. I said He's not going to withhold any good thing from you. You can wake up every morning looking for the good things that are coming into your life. Hallelujah. That's not the old, that's not the old blab it and grab it stuff. That's the promise of God stuff. Hallelujah. That if you walk uprightly before Him, learn what that means to keep your faith in the sacrament then you can wake up looking. You can go to bed looking, hallelujah, for the good things God didn't say He might give you, that there's without a doubt, there is no doubt He'll unload on you the benefits His Son died for you to have. That's what the Bible says. He'll give us grace, and not one good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly before Him. 
I was reading in Isaiah today, Isaiah chapter 3, uh, uh, just an awful scripture, an awful chapter. Just It's just so awful to read back and see the things that God would have to say about the church in that day, His people Israel, and how they had, they had, uh, they had just turned away from all of what He desired for them. They turned away from the sacrifices. They, they, they really didn't want to go His way anymore. He, he, he just unloads a, 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 just a boatload of, of things against them. God, I don't want God unloading anything against me. Hallelujah. I believe my God is for me and He proved that at Calvary and I don't want to walk in a place where I can't experience the manifestation of Him being for me. Amen. Amen. I can live my life as though God's against me even though He's not. How many Christians are miserable tonight out there saying, well, I don't know what I've done wrong. It just seems like God's against me. God's not against His people. He's for His people. But that don't mean our lives are going to show that He's for us. Amen. Why do you think them people are saying that? Because their lives, they don't know what it means to walk uprightly before the Lord. They think it means going to church. Well, I need to start reading my Bible and then get back in church. I need, and they do. Those are good things. But that don't make an upright walk. An upright walk is seen by God when the heart's trusting in the sacrifice of Christ, Amen. the finished work of Jesus. That's what God sees as an upright walk. How I many of you know Peter was already upright before God in his position, but his living was not upright? The Bible tells us that. So the Bible says the Lord, this is under the Old Testament now, the Lord will give grace and glory. And I wanted to get more into that Isaiah 3 stuff, but that's for another time. Read it on your own at home. Just break your heart to see it. Break your heart to see the Lord just started decreeing and declaring all this stuff about Israel. And really it was because they would not walk upright before Him. They chose not to. As I said Sunday morning, to live for God is a choice. But the choice is not utterly to live for God. The choice is to accept and keep my faith in what He offered me. That will have a steady flow of the Spirit of grace in my life and I'll just be living not so much for the Lord but with the Lord. So the upright walk is exclusively the walk by deliberate and conscious faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Amen. Let's get in now. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 so that you can see the scripture that confirms that God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Comforter is the Spirit of grace. The Spirit of grace. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 says, Of how much worse, that's what sorer means, punishment, suppose you shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, wherewith he was sanctified, I said wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and has done despite to the Spirit of grace. The Spirit of grace. That's the Spirit of God. Remember, think about this. 
Jesus tasted death by the grace of God for all men, Hebrews 2 and 9. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God was in Christ reconciling sinners to himself. See, grace is what God is doing. God was in Christ reconciling sinners. And Hebrews 9 and 14, tell, let's put that on the screen and just look at it. I don't have it here in my notes, but I know the Lord wants us to look at it tonight. Uh, Hebrews 9 and 14, just to maybe see a little more clearly what we're talking about tonight. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit... The reason... That the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 that Jesus tasted death by the grace of God is because what he was doing was he was being led by the Spirit of God who is the Spirit of grace. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace led him to the cross to taste of the work the Holy Spirit was doing in his life which was to die. He tasted death by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of grace. God was in Christ reconciling sinners to Himself. What God was doing in Christ on the cross, He was doing it through the eternal Spirit who is the Spirit of grace. That's how Jesus could taste death on the cross by the grace of God because it was by the Spirit of grace. God was working in Him to die for you and me. The Spirit of grace. And that's why everything God does is through His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, has the door open at Calvary and it flows in and it doesn't flow in through any other avenue at any time. At any time. The proof of that is what we've already discussed earlier and we mention all the time about the church in Galatia. They were already saved, but they'd fallen from the flow of grace. The flow of the Holy Spirit. Those streams of living water were not flowing in their lives. No matter what they had going on, that got cut off. The river got dammed up. By what? Not many things. Not actually going and committing some sinful act, but by trusting, literally and simply trusting in something, anything other than the death of Jesus. Grace was not in their act. Not, not, not they weren't experiencing it anymore. It's accessible, but they weren't experiencing it anymore. You and I ought to be shouting the high praises of God every day for what God gave Paul to write to the church in Galatia because it is our billboard and it never leaves. It's always right there. It's always. Those are billboards that never should. We should never just keep driving and pass those things up. Those are billboards that should stay right there. They shouldn't be in the mirror. They should be right out the windshield right there as we're going along this journey with the Lord the things in the scriptures should, what the Lord gives us and teaches us these warnings and that's what the book of Galatia is a warning to them and us they should stay right there they should remain right there at all times they fell from grace I can guess what Curtis did but hallelujah I don't want to ever find myself in a place that's dried up and barren anymore I want to, I want to keep living in the place where the rivers of living water are stirred in my heart hallelujah flowing up out of my innermost being because I'm touching where they come from. Mm. 
Spirit of grace. I hope you'd highlight that in your Bible and understand that the phrase, the Spirit of grace, is just not like, the, well, the Spirit of a cup of water. Or the, spirit of, the Spirit of grace is the Spirit of God. Because if it's just a, a spirit of some, just a spirit of whatever, you couldn't do despite to it. Hmm, think about it. Misunderstanding grace will bring much. You need to hear this. Misunderstanding grace will bring much confusion. And where there's confusion, there's contradiction. If you're confused about something, you're going to be double minded. If you're confused about something, then you're, there's going to be contradiction in your life. And contradiction means double-mindedness. And double-mindedness means that faith ain't working. You know how I know? Because faith is the avenue by which we receive everything from the Lord. And the Bible says if you're double-minded, you can't expect to receive anything of the Lord. So it's not the cross and anything. It's the cross, my friends. I'm still boasting in it 18 years later. Don't care who makes fun of me. I know what I go to bed thinking every night. I know what I wake up thinking every morning. I know what the Lord fills my heart with every day. I know I ain't looking for revival. I've been revived. I'm not looking for life. I have life. I'm not looking for the way. I'm in the way. Hallelujah. I got a joy I never had before this message became centerfold. Jesus becomes the center of it all when the cross becomes the center of it all. Grace is always what God the Holy Spirit is doing. He is the Spirit of grace. Now, as I get ready to... Uh, uh, I'm not going to be much longer. I'll, I'll preach my limit, all right? I won't go over. For our new viewers, I always only preach about two things. I preach about Jesus and I preach about an hour. That's my limit. If you can't hang for an hour, you ain't going to like me. Hebrew, I don't show up and give a 20-minute devotion and move on. I got a lot more to say than an hour will hold, ever. Hebrews chapter 12, a couple chapters over if you will. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 through 29. Now, I want you to know we're reading about something that's happening right now and has been for a while, but it's getting worse. There's a shaking taking place. And I want you to listen to the words of the Word of God tonight here in Hebrews 12 and 26, where we'll begin. Whose voice then shook the earth, referring back to the Old Testament. But now he is promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing. That means this shaking, this shaking is going to remove some stuff. And this word, yet once more, is a sign. It's signifying the removing of those things that are shaken. As of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we, everybody say, that's me. Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. Amen. 
To be a part of this unshakable kingdom, if you're saved, you already are. But you don't want to experience because you're not living by the faith you received when you began. There's a shaking that's coming, my friends. Let me just tell you tonight. I told you years ago when we were on Main Street that things would happen Suddenly, that would affect the whole world, and it did. Suddenly, the whole globe. And I told you when COVID happened that it was just a trial run, and it was. The Lord, through this ministry, has warned you and told you to prepare by clinging to the Christ of Calvary. Because there is about to be an unleashing on what it means for things to be shaken. And let me tell you something. When things start shaking all around you, you better grab the Word of God. You better grab the Word of God and you better let the Word of God be the authority in your life. When when, when, When all hell breaks out, you ain't got time to call a preacher or to have a worship service. You need the Word of God. And you better know the Word of God. And, and, and be in a place where the Holy Spirit can speak to you. Yeah. This is a talking book right here. This is not just a phrase, the Word of God. This is a talking book. It'll quicken you. It'll bring faith that will quicken you. And there's things coming on this earth, not just in America. I've told you for years under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, don't care who knows, I'm just old country backwood, it can't talk right, but the Holy Ghost still has told you through me for years that the Lord is going to strip this nation of everything we've trusted in other than Him. And it's happening before your very eyes and it's going to grow more intense than ever before to the point you already are saying, I can't believe, man, this would have never happened in my life when I was a kid, this, things have changed. But there is a shaking coming that's going to shake like never before. Yes. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And God's answer for you, let us have grace. So you better know what grace is. You better know what true grace is. You better know how to tap into it, and I know you do, because you've been listening to the truth of the true grace for as long as you've been coming here. True grace is what you're going to need when all hell breaks out. And you're not able to do what you've always done. We're not able to meet together anymore. I'm talking about a shaking that's going to change everything. Everything. It's coming! And you've been warned. Don't ignore it. Well, what do we do? Ask God for grace. More grace. He's promised to give you more grace. He's promised more grace. If you know what grace is, if you know from where it comes, He's promised more grace to the humble. The humble are those who hold dear to the truth of Calvary. But watch, that's not all. Let us have grace whereby... Now this is all in the midst of the shaking. This is all in the midst of the shaking. 
You've got to think there's been lots of shakings personally in your life already. There's been lots of shakings through history. But we're at the end of the age. The Bible says the end of the ages have come upon you. The end of all things is at hand. And those things were written 2,000, 1,900 years ago. Think about it. Paul got in a storm. Paul got in a storm. And Paul, before the storm, I want you to hear this tonight. Before the storm got there, Paul, you can read this in the book of Acts, and before the storm got there, the apostle Paul said, I perceive there's a storm coming. And they said, nah. And then, listen, a lot of times after the warning comes, something will happen to make us think, yeah, it was a bunch of bogus. Because the Bible says in that story, a slow, gentle wind blew. Oh, it's just a nice little breeze. It's all right. It ain't no storm. The storm came. It was a big one. It was F5. Read the, that, that storm had a name. Read about that storm. It had a name. Oh, it came. Oh, they said, forget him. See, that, that ain't nothing but a smooth little breeze. A lot of times you'll get a warning and something will happen. Say, well, see there, he's full of it. I'm telling you, there's shaking coming. I'm telling you, it's going to shake everything you ever, you ever, ever knew about. You ain't going to believe what's happening. And many people won't make it. Many people ain't going to make it. Now, I ain't saying these things scary. I'm saying because they're real. The Bible tells us. But that storm destroyed that ship. And if you read that story, the angel come and stood by Paul and told Paul, because of you, I'm going to save these men. And men were lost. Doesn't mean they're going to save the soul. I mean, he's going to save them, going to keep them from dying. Let me tell you something, folks. You that know the message of the cross, you that are standing fast in this, unmovable, determined to know nothing else, God's doing things in other people's lives because of your faith. You read in Job chapter 42, I believe it is, Andrew was sharing this with me the other day, that Job's three friends were called evil by God and told them, y'all ain't speaking nothing but evil. You get you some sacrifice, the heifer, and you take it to Job, and he'll offer it for you. And I'll have mercy on you because he will offer it for you. I want you to think about that. These little cross-preaching churches that get spit on by a lot of people, they're the ones that are hearing from the Lord. They're the ones who are standing fast and the river is flowing through their innermost being. They're the ones that the, the, the storm came, the shaking came, it destroyed the ship, and they all lived. The angel told Paul, it's because of him. You're going to read that story and you get home that age. I know you ought to read it. Because other people's lives are being changed because you're in it. It's under the divine plan of God that everybody that's in your life be in your life. And your faith is having an effect on them. And when the shaking and the storms come, your life and your faith is going to have an effect on them. And that ship was torn up, blowed up in a million pieces, and they all floated, they all floated to land on a plank of wood. 
and saw people get saved. Because that's always God's will. That's always God's will for souls to be saved. And for us to wake up and realize we're still on a mission. Let us have grace. Watch this now. Watch the wording here. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Can't happen without grace. There is no serving God with reverence and godly fear. There is no serving God acceptably if we're not serving Him with reverence and godly fear. And it takes grace to do that. It takes grace to do that. I don't just decide I'm going to do it. It takes grace to do that. And more grace is being offered to the church over the last 25 years at the preaching of the cross. More grace has been offered in an abundant manner to the church. More grace has been offered not just for the big shaking that's coming, but for all the shakings that come to our lives. There's always more grace available. But we have to know where it comes from. And we have to apply our faith. We have to exercise that measure as we discussed Sunday morning in the very object we received it through. Watch. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, colon, for our God is a consuming fire. See, that tells me that the shaking is going to not only shake loose whatever is not the kingdom, but it's going to burn up everything that's not the kingdom, even those things in our own lives. Because the shaking is going to cause us to realize that a lot of things we've been holding on to and dear have really been robbing us all along anyway. And God is so faithful to come along and remove things that we've held so dear just to show us we've been being robbed by them anyway. Things that we've allowed to to keep us from advancing. Things that we've allowed to hinder our becoming more contenders for the faith. More standing in the grace of God. God gives and He takes away. He gives and He takes away. One of the reasons He gives us grace is so that we can learn to let those things be taken away. Because there's some things that need to be taken away that I'm not just going to give up on my own. Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about tonight? There's some things that have to go, that have to be let go of that I'm just not going to be able to let go of them by myself. Is that not correct? I'm going to have to have grace That means I'm going to have to have God working in me, on me, through me to let go of some things I've been holding on to that I need to let go of. Because without grace, I can't serve my God acceptably. I can't be reverent before Him without grace. And if I don't know what grace is, 
then I'm probably calling reverence something that it's not. And I'm probably calling godly fear something that it's not. You see, grace is the Spirit of God producing in me reverence. I don't just wake up today and decide I'm going to be reverent today, Lord. It takes grace for that. So whatever I'm going through, like the Apostle Paul, whatever thorns in my flesh, whatever, whatever there is that's been distracting me and hindering me, I hope the Lord's able to cause this message tonight to make me see that His grace is sufficient. As we sang earlier tonight, it's all about Jesus. Nothing else matters. And the Lord has a, His own special way of showing us and teaching us that powerful truth. Sometimes it's very painful, but it's always powerful. True grace is grace that flows from heaven through the sacrifice, my faith therein, into my heart and always brings about the will of God. Always. Grace, the result of grace is the will of God truly being at work in my life. Saved by grace, Believed with the heart under righteousness, confessed, bought me a Bible, hallelujah. There was a manifestation there. Yes. Message of the cross comes, points out all the things I've been trusting in. I turned from them. There was a manifestation. Here's part of it tonight, right here with you in this place. Amen. Grace, true grace. Amen. Not some imaginary make-believe. Well, I just need grace. Oh, I need grace. We do need grace, but we need to know what it is. We need to know the avenue through which it comes. And we need to know that God's more excited and more willing to give us more grace than we can imagine. Because that's what we need right now. Every moment is grace. The grace of God. It saved you. It'll keep you. Step by step takes grace. Every step takes grace. That's the spirit of grace working in our lives. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me tonight, please?